Don't be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, Peter writes. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And the Christian life given over to Him will be a life of absolute purity. We're not given over to Him when we're playing with sin on the side. Now, a living and holy sacrifice is a life of moral purity. And oh, there is a need for that today. If I think of one thing that would really speak to this darkened, immoral, amoral, standardless world, it is the church really being different, really being holy for God. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue on our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott concludes the message titled, Present Yourselves. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Jesus said, when he called people, he said, follow me. And it wasn't just an initial dropping of everything and following. It was that. But it's a lifetime of following. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And you see, it's a continual thing. It's a daily thing. It's a regular reminder that I'm not my own. It isn't up to me to just live for myself today and do what I want to do. It's to do what He wants me to do. And Lord, I need Your guidance. And hence we say, it isn't just religious ritual when we tell believers to get into this book. When I exhort you to read the Bible, it isn't because you earned brownie points or something. It's because this is God's Word. Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. Well, where am I going to find that out? Right here. And so you start your day, hopefully, in God's Word. You certainly get daily time. He said, this book shall not depart from your mouth day and night. The blessed man is the one who abides in his work, in, his, in the book, in the law of the Lord, because he will know the mind of the Lord, and he will know what God wants. So you present your body a living and holy sacrifice, and it's a daily kind of thing. Somebody pointed out, and it's a picturesque way of looking at it. You know, it's one thing to slaughter an animal and put it on the altar. It's not going anywhere. But a living sacrifice, they tend to wiggle off, <laughs> you know. And so it won't do to say, oh, I'm on the altar. Are you? Make sure you are, because we tend to slide off. And uh, we're pretty good at talking about the devotion we have to Christ. But meanwhile, we've kind of wiggled off and we're over here doing our own thing. Beware of that. God is looking for a living and holy. Don't miss that word either. Look at verse 1. A living and holy sacrifice. Our lives can only be called holy because of what Jesus Christ has done. And it just underlines one more time that verse 1 is written to Christians uh, to give our lives a holy sacrifice. We can't come as sinners and give Him sin as a sacrifice. Is He's calling on believers here. And let me just take a minute and say that because the gospel is chapters 1 through 11. The good news is not give your life to Christ. Sometimes we say that. Give your heart to Jesus. And we, in well-meaning you know, evangelists and Christians, evangelical pastors, we'll say things like that. But really, that's not the gospel, us giving Him. What do we have to give Him? 
sin. (laughs) No, the gospel is believing that God gave his son. The gospel is taking God at his word that he gave his son for us. And then as Christians, 11 chapters later, so to speak, he says, now give your heart to me, give your body to me, give your soul to me, present yourself. And we are holy sacrifices because we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He has made us new creatures, and He's able to use us. We are holy and fit for His presence, and we can be usable. But I think there's more here than that, too. He says holy sacrifice. He's calling for a holy lifestyle. Don't be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, Peter writes. But like the Holy One who called you, Be holy yourselves, for it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And the Christian life given over to Him will be a life of absolute purity. We're not given over to Him when we're playing with sin on the side. That's not a living and holy sacrifice. No, a living and holy sacrifice is a life of moral purity. And oh, there is a need for that today. If I think of one thing that would really speak to this darkened, immoral, amoral, standardless world. It is the church really being different, really being holy for God. And it's in, when I say the church, I'm not talking about a building full of people. I'm talking about us at the office, in our business practices, in our relation to the opposite sex, every aspect of our life being devoted to the Holy One, not taking any corners, not compromising, being known as those who are holy in our lifestyle, doing the right thing rather than the expedient thing. And then look, this is acceptable to God. He's looking for this. He likes it. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are roaming to and fro, the Bible says, looking over the earth, throughout the earth, that he might strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Second Chronicles 16.9. God is looking for believers who will present themselves. It's acceptable to him. It's well-pleasing. He delights in it. It's a fragrant aroma. And I ask you, is your life that kind of life? You say, well, what's it look like? Well, let me show you a couple of paths. Turn over to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, it's interesting to see, now with Romans 12 in our mind, with this great exhortation, this central command in your mind that it's well-pleasing to the Lord when we give ourselves to Him. Listen to the language of Hebrews 13 at the end of Hebrews when he says, verse 15, "...through Him then, through Jesus Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God." That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name and do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is well-pleased. He uses the term sacrifice twice here and then he says, here's the sacrifices that are pleasing to God, that are well-pleasing to him. And just notice verse 15, 
we could say, I think, without uh, belaboring it, it is, first of all, praising God. The fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. Is your life characterized by praise and thankfulness and worship? Oh, that's a sacrifice He loves. And I'll tell you, it's a sacrifice when you're praising God when things didn't go your way. That's when it's a sacrifice, it seems to me. And he says, don't neglect doing good. There's an active doing good. Not the do-goodism, you know, that people speak, oh, he's a do-gooder, that flaunts his goodness. But the Christian active doing the good works that glorify the Father in heaven. Do, don't neglect doing good and sharing, generosity. Christians aren't stingy, but they're generous. He says, with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I mean, this is what God is looking for. And this is what He does. He makes us pleasing to Him as we allow Him to have our lives. And notice, I mean, you can glance down the page. Look at when He closes the book of Hebrews. He says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead... I'm reading verse 20. The great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will. Oh, now may God equip you to do His will in every good thing, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. That's why Paul said in Corinthians, that's my ambition, whether I'm dead or alive, whether I'm at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Sacrificial living is pleasing to Jesus Christ. You still say, though, but what does it look like? I, well, I say, well, it's praising God. It's actively doing good. It's sharing. It's being generous rather than stingy. It's realizing what you are and what you have is not your own. It's His, and it's to be used like He would use it. What else does it look like? Sometimes it's really good, I think, to let Scripture flesh it out for us. Turn over to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. Because I told you this is key to Christian living. This is what God is looking for. This pleases Him, and this is the pathway of joy and blessing. And Philippians 4, there's uh, an example of it, and he uses the same language. Verse 18, I've received everything in full, Paul writes. He's in prison, and uh, the Philippians have ministered to him. I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus... What you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. What did he receive? It's the same language, isn't it? A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He received their gift, their money. Epaphroditus brought the gift of the church to the missionary who was out on the field, and in fact was pinned in on the field, was in prison. Giving to missions is well-pleasing to God. Epaphroditus brought it, and that's not all. Turn over a page to chapter 2 of Philippians and notice uh, Epaphroditus himself, not just the gift he brought, but his very life was a sacrifice and it was well-pleasing to God. Verse 25, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. The Philippians had sent Epaphroditus to Paul, and he said, I thought it necessary to send him back. Because he was longing for you, verse 26. 
he was longing for you all and was distressed because you'd heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I've sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore, receive him in the Lord and with all joy and hold men like him, like Epaphroditus, in high esteem. High regard, why? Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Epaphroditus was a well-pleasing sacrifice because he risked his life for Christ. In fact, he risked his health. In fact, he almost died. And when it was raining Friday... One of my daughters asked me, what do you think, Lord, Dad, why we've prayed so long for good weather? Why is it raining? And I said, it's part of the fallen world God has called us to work in. It's the same reason people get sick and die by going to the mission field, to do the very thing God told us to do. And they face, and willing sacrifices are ready to risk their health, to risk even their life like Epaphroditus did. In fact, I ask you, Are you a living and holy sacrifice? Do you risk your health? Or do you even risk your schedule? He risked his life. But you don't want your... There's one thing in your week that you don't want messed up, and that's this, this, and this. And you'll 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 tip your hat to God over here, but then it's not a living and holy sacrifice. It's not acceptable to God. It's not well-pleasing if it's that kind of Christianity. That mediocre, carnal halfway kind of stuff. It really isn't what pleases the Lord. It's not what we were called to. You say, well, is it just going to the mission field and risking your life and your health? No, there's lots of ways it can be described. In fact, this chapter, Philippians 2, Timothy is described that way. Look at back up, at, work your way backwards. He said in verse 19, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. Timothy was another rare one. He was a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And he says, I don't have many like Timothy. They all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. A living sacrifice doesn't ask first and foremost, what's in it for me? When he's making a decision, when he's choosing the course of his life, he doesn't seek after his own interests. He seeks after the interests of Christ Jesus. And Paul found such a guy in Timothy, and he said, I'm sending him to you because I don't have too many like Timothy. And Paul himself was that way. Look at verse, what is it, uh, 17, going backwards. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, Paul saw his life as just being poured out. That's what it means. And did you see it in Epaphroditus in one calling, Timothy in another calling, Paul in yet another calling, and, of course, the ultimate example for us is in this chapter also. Moving yet further back, verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant and became like a man and became found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. That's the example of what we're talking about when God asks us to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. We love Him because He first loved us. Is your life style a living and holy sacrifice? I know it's easy to just talk about it. But the Bible says, don't let your love be in word only, but in deed and in truth. And I'm confident that uh, we all need to let this verse search our hearts a bit. Not just a bit, really. So that's why I said last week, mull this verse over, pray over it, meditate on it. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies, by the love by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God's beloved Son, for you to present your bodies, your ambitions, your schedule, your bank account, your everything to Him. Oh, it's acceptable. It's well-pleasing to Him. It's what He's looking for. There is a freedom in it. You know, there is bondage in hanging on. We're not designed for that. Christ died for us. We've been bought with a price. There is freedom in saying and doing that, just putting ourselves at His disposal. There's no joy like the adventure of just saying, I'm yours, Lord. And there's no guarantee it'll be easy. It might be Epaphroditus-like. It might be Timothy-like. It might be Paul-like. In fact, Jesus said, don't expect better treatment than I got. But you want to know the most joyous, dynamic, happy, blessed Christians, they hunger and thirst after Him, and so they give themselves without reserve to the Lord. Do you strategize ways to give yourself? I mean, we strategize in other things, don't we? I lay awake at night sometimes just thinking of a project I'm going to build. You know, I'll draw it, and then I'll redraw it, and then I'll think of it, oh, it'd be better this way. Do I lay awake at night thinking about the project of my life? Do you? Do you strategize ways you could serve Christ? Or do you rationalize when an opportunity to serve in the church comes out? Why, why me? Why not someone else? And kind of shuck and jive and hide behind your schedule or this and that. Just constant lifestyle of just kind of making sure you protect your own interests rather than those of Christ Jesus. I'll tell you, there'd be no lack of, of uh, servants if we all put ourselves on the altar in this congregation and just think what God would do. Do you strategize? Do you seek to give all that you can or kind of the minimum mentality? I gave my 10%. I've always believed that's about as much as a person should give. Why, why do you believe that? For instance, with your money. When he said, it's all mine, it's, it's to put at my disposal, he says, I'll give you more if you'll give it to me. I will bless you if you'll put it at my disposal. Do you think we would have missionaries waiting, ready to go without money if we really gave as we should give? If we gave like the Bible says, he who sows abundantly will reap abundantly. Well, I've given my... No. If we put ourselves on the altar, the work of Christ would go forward quickly. And dynamically, because it isn't just a mechanical thing, God energizes that kind of Christianity. That's what He's looking for. It is acceptable, well-pleasing to Him. 
Is that your goal? Is that your ambition? You know, ask yourself, uh, and you say, well, it's hard to measure, Scott. I don't know. And I'll tell you, it is. Because, you know, to self-diagnose, the doctor will tell you, don't do that. Let me tell you what's going on. And so we need to let the Word of God, the great physician, kind of talk to us and him do the diagnosing. But it is hard. But I'll tell you this. I've noticed that you can read quite a bit, those of you who are parents, through your kids. And what I'm saying is this. I was talking to my neighbor the other day, and he was interested that I kind of like to hack around. He saw some of my tools. He's fairly new, and we were getting to know each other in the neighborhood. And he saw, he said, you like to do that? I said, oh, yeah, I like to hack around. I like to do it. And I started telling him about what I do. And he said, well, I do too. I said, well, how come is that? And he said, well, my dad, he said, was a master carpenter in the U.S. Navy. And he actually was just a carpenter on ship. And I said, really? And he told me about it. And he said, so I just kind of picked up. And I said, well, you know, my dad liked to hack around. And his dad was a carpenter by trade. And, I, and we both noticed that you just kind of pick things up at home. And you see that in every realm, don't you? And your kids, do you see them seeking to give their lives to Christ? Well, that's a good indication they pick something up at home. And if you see them living for self, and it's kind of bothering you because their self isn't quite like yourself... You know, your lifestyle was over here, and they're wanting to do this over here, and, and it bothers you. It could be that they're just following you. Their self is just a little different than yourself. But it's ugly either way when a Christian who's been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ lives for self rather than Christ. And I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's sobering. Make it your ambition. What are you exposing your kids to? What are you modeling? Do you have them going with you in the work of the ministry? Do you expose them to our missionaries so that they might catch vision for what Christ's big command was to take the gospel to all the nations? Strategize on these things. How to be a living and holy sacrifice. It's the only... Look at the final phrase. It's the only logical thing to do. It's our spiritual service of worship. Priestly serving is the term here. To really use our lives for Christ. That's the only logical, rational, reasonable thing to do. And it's pleasing to God. It is real worship. has very little to do with the mood of the worship service or the music or anything. Those things flow from a heart that is yielded to Jesus Christ. A heart that seeks to put His interests above our interests, seeks His glory, not ours. That's what real Christian living is, and that's what He calls for. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Present Yourselves, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called, A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount 
to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. We're thankful that you've chosen to listen to us on this station. And we invite you to downtownbible.org to download or listen to any past program or to subscribe to our daily podcast. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. And this age is a Christ-rejecting age. And he says, don't be conformed to that kind of thinking. You know, because the way we think and act and value and our priorities will transform the way we live and Activities. There's certain things that are just not pure, period. And if you're going to be a living and holy sacrifice, you will not be involved. And there'll be an outward distinction, no question about it. But what he's after here is the inward. So when you hear the term, and you don't hear it much in the pulpits of our day, worldliness, you know, because we're busy as a church, and I'm speaking of the American church now, trying to act and think and get inside the mind of the world constantly, it seems, uh, when the scripture's saying, don't. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. I'm calling you to a completely different kind of a lifestyle. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott begins a message titled, Do Not Be Conformed. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.